apparently Lacano was uh, quite the the stir at Gen Con. From what I saw, Mike showed me a picture of the line for Loracana, and it was uh, massive, to say the least. Yeah. It looked like uh, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. So, <laughs> Mark, t- talk to us about Lorcana. So, I think everyone probably knows or has a friend in their life that they would describe as a Disney adult. You know who I'm talking about? That that person. Mm-hmm. Um, they were at Gen Con, for sure. And yeah. uh, Lorcana, so for those not familiar, this is the new Disney card game. Think Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, collectible card game with the Disney theme. Initial release at Gen Con for the first time ever is the, the first time you could get cards. And the hype was extreme. Uh, people lining up the night before, spending the night on the floor of the convention center, waiting in line. Uh, myself and Chris, one of our other writers, waited until the last day of the convention to <laughs> hopefully the crowds would die down. We got in line at 6 a.m. And we were still the 100th and 101st person in line and waited four and a half hours to be able to just buy Orkana cards. So four days, full lines every single day. Uh, the hype was extreme. And the question is, is it worth it? Is, is the hype real? Is the game good? And for me, yes. Uh, I got to demo the game. I got to interview Ryan Miller, the one of the co-designers of the game. And I played the game. Uh, I played the game sitting in line with Chris with some of the cards I got earlier. And then I've since played it uh, several times with my wife, who's not really a gamer, but was intrigued by the Disney theme. And it's a really solid game. Well, and not only that, but like it, it hit local game stores like a week or two ago. And um, it's been selling out like everywhere. And the demand has been so high that a lot of these local game star- stores have started uh, like raising the prices on them. And the I, I've got to say the the gameplay itself is really fun. It's a really solid game. So if you're interested just mechanically in the game, definitely check it out. Give the game a try because it's a solid game. But what really elevates it is the artwork. So if you're a fan of Disney at all, you grew up with the movies, you know the uh, iconic characters and the artwork and the artists that they've hired to create all new original art for the game have done a fantastic job. And then you have obviously your regular cards, you've got your foil cards, and then your special enchanted cards, which are completely uh, unique artwork um, compared to the regular cards. So people trying to find the you know their favorite characters in packs, or you know buying the starter decks, or really hunting those enchanted cards. Uh, just from a collector's perspective, even besides the the just solid gameplay. It's so fun just to look at the cards, like opening the packs and and seeing your favorite characters that you grew up with is a surreal experience. I I would never expect to hold a card with, you know, Tigger on it that I'm going to use in a game. It's just so fun, even even just looking at the cards. One of the things I think is really interesting that I I just read this the other day. So one of the co-designers, Ryan Miller, who we got to interview, uh, really great guy to talk to. He's really passionate about the game. So he's he didn't just sell Robinsberger a game and, and then move on to the next project. Like he loves this game and he's really passionate about it. And he's also the brand manager for the game, which I, I think is really cool that they have the, the guy that made it is just so heavily invested in seeing it succeed. 
and and not just um, you know he's he's not just in it for the next project. Right. He cares about the game, which I think is going to really make it successful in the long run. That the people behind the game care about the game. It's this isn't just a cash cow for them. Like they care about making a good game and creating a community around the game. All right. Well, you've told me that the game is good. Why is it good? Yeah. So, I, I guess very briefly, uh, the the purpose of Lorcana, or the the goal behind it when you're playing the game, is to be the first to reach twenty lore. So you're playing characters to um, generate lore. That's that's the reason you're going to play characters. But they have six different colors uh so if you think of magic the gathering has different colors or other games use aspects or or different different ways to to kind of come come across the same thing or kind of uses colors you're going to build a deck with two colors and the colors are all themed to do different things so you have like for example steel is very focused on defense um, and bodyguarding characters uh whereas um uh, the the red color, who's the the name they use is escaping me, but the red color is very focused on like quick attacks. Purple is very focused on uh, generating lots of uh, smaller characters and flooding the board. So you have kind of classic themes of card games, or whether you want to do a powerful characters or flood stronger characters. And then mechanically, what I think is really fun about the game is the the decision space that the player has to make whether they're going to play a card. And am I going to use this to take out my opponent's board, or is it going to be a lore generator for me? When do I tap my cards to generate lore, but then that makes them vulnerable to attack? Uh, just the mechanical design is really, I think, thought out well. So it's not just playing with with Disney cards. The game itself uh, is a really smart and tight game. There's already people producing meta decks that you know. That this deck can win in five turns, or this deck is going to ramp up and allow you to be really strong at the end. Like people are putting thought into this game already, which is a really good sign for it. There's there's a whole mm-hmm. community of people on YouTube and on X and uh, Discord that are designing decks and talking about this game nonstop already before it's even hit uh, mainstream stores. Before we like launched this episode, we were discussing beforehand. You said kind of samey as other card games but not yeah so it's definitely not a clone of another game like arcana is its own game but the individual mechanics that are within it are i think you know things we've seen before in other games whether it's magic or Yu-Gi-Oh or pokemon there's there's nothing that's uh mechanically like brand new we've never seen this before but it takes pieces from different games and combines them in a way that you, that you get a new game uh, and it, and like I said, it, I think it does it very well. Uh, for me, the real test of uh, is this game something that's going to be stick around in my personal collection is can I get my wife to play it who's not a gamer? And she was immediately on board with trying out Orkana because of the theme. And then mechanically, like most card games, it's not difficult to play the the emergent kind of strategy is on the cards you know how how am i going to use my deck when should i when should i tap when should i attack when should i quest for lore Uh, all things that you can introduce over time to new players and makes this game very accessible on top of being 
more willing to be exposed to these more difficult mechanics because of the theme. Like I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you and learn about the strategy because I'm playing with Ariel and Flounder. And that makes sense to me because I can connect those themes in my head. I come from Yu-Gi-Oh! That's kind of my big card game of choice, but I've also, you know, messed around with Hearthstone. I've definitely gotten into Legends of Runeterra. Those are more digital, but though the Yu-Gi-Oh! cards tend to have a whole lot of text and different abilities and, you know, all kinds of stuff to let you know how it works. How simple or complicated is the, I guess, abilities of each card? So I, right now, because we have chapter one, you know, this is the launch of the game. I, I don't think there's anything in the game that's really complicated or difficult to understand. You're not going to see any cards that have a whole paragraph of text on them like you might see in a magic card. Um, but th there's, I, I guess the complication is, is in the strategy. How, how should I best employ this card even though its ability is not that difficult so we'll see as they progress in chapters are we going to see more complex cards more complex interactions i think naturally that's going to happen because as you create more cards it becomes more complicated with inter new cards interacting with cards from say the first set chapter one but right now uh it, very difficult very sorry very easy to learn very easy to sort of figure out how to play but there's definitely a challenge and strategy and thought you have to put into not only building your deck in a way that synergizes, but uh, now that I have this deck of cards, how do I best use it? My first impression of playing Call of Duty, the board <laughs> game, <laughs> is that I am... I was just as bad at it as I was the video game. It felt so much like the video game in that I would move and get shot and killed immediately, like over and over and over again. Now, let, I did get better over time, but <laughs> it, it was the most resounding feeling that I got, like that first demo that Mark and I played, and he just dominated me. I think I finally managed to get like one or two kills in towards the end, but like that was just like, hee pew! I right, I'm dead. <laughs> it was it was it was humiliating. It's a good thing I feel no shame. So, <laughs> but that's why it made it good or bad. Oh no, uh, I really enjoyed it actually. By the second demo, when we introduced like a bunch of the other mechanics, because it was an advanced demo, uh, I was starting to get the hang of it, and I was uh, I was giving Mark a run for his money. Uh, actually, I think I was, I mean, I wasn't, dom I wouldn't say I was dominating, but I was in the lead for, for the a good chunk of that. Did, did, did I win the second game? I think you did by one point. Yeah. The first yeah, game, I, yeah. I think I was up eight and oh on you. And then you, yeah. came, you had a couple towards the end. And then the second game we were neck and neck the whole yeah. time. I still like the, the one question that I kept on asking the, uh, the people in charge of the demo is like, all right, where's, where's my bunny hop card? I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Like I need, I need something here, guys. Come on. Also, a lot of people. I heard a lot of people talking like uh, it wasn't, it wasn't that great. And I, I think, I think the problem is, is that the way they framed it, like that beginning demo game, uh, didn't have enough 
mm-hmm. meat to it. Like it didn't, it didn't have enough fun stuff to it. It was the, just, it was one of those game demos that was set up to kind of teach you the basic mechanics of the game. And all of the fun stuff is not in the basic mechanics of the game. It's the stuff that overlays on top of the basic mechanics of the game. And so I think a lot of people just saw, you know, the former and didn't get the latter. Um, I don't know. Yeah. What did you think, Mark? Uh, so I thought the game was incredible. So I'm a huge plan, a huge fan of two player tactical games. And uh, I think the Call of Duty board game shines as a two player head to head game. Mechanically, if, if you think you're playing a game of Call of Duty, not Warzone, but you know regular deathmatch Call of Duty, yeah, Arena six v six, yeah, and you're running around. Call of Duty is a fast game; the time to kill is very fast, and that split second decision making that that you're doing every time you see a person: am I going to slide? Am I going to take cover? Am I going to shoot mm-hmm. them at all? Am I going to crouch? Which weapon am I going to use? If you were to pause and then blow that that decision out that's what the board game does yeah so you're both players are simultaneously planning out in secret here's how i'm going to move on the map here's when i'm going to aim down my sights here's when i'm going to throw a grenade here's when i'm going to sprint or slide and then you reveal those orders that you planned you know (laughs) one at a time and Mm -hmm. if anybody sees anybody else you stop and you shoot at each other and somebody is going to die no matter what If, if there's a firefight one of one of the two people is going to die Wait, so how how does the shooting phase go? Like once you see each other? So you have to choose a card and the cards represent those uh those mechanics in Call of Duty, whether you're gonna aim down your sights or whether you're you're gonna take like a, a long shot or you're you're gonna, or you're gonna strafe. You're gonna sprint and shoot or strafe yeah. and those determine kind of your range of damage that you can do. And then you choose from uh, a pool of dice. You're, you're going to make a, your own personal dice pool of seven dice. And you can choose dice that are more defensive. You can choose dice that give you more accuracy. Or you can choose dice that give you more damage. Both players are going to roll their dice and you're going to compare. And whoever does more damage wins the combat and the other player dies. Uh, which I mean, I think, not always dies, but most of the time dies. Yeah, which... That's one of the things I think can feel off-putting to maybe people that don't play video games and just play board games. Like, what do you mean I'm just going to die? I, I could just die in one attack. Uh, and if you're used to board games, like that that would almost never happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it feels very Call of Duty. That fast it's time very- to kill, that tactical decision-making. And you're not out of the game. You The opponent just gets a point, and then you respawn, and you keep doing it. <laughs> Um, hit x and yeah try it again and like no i i i was actually i was very very pleasantly surprised at how well it maintained that like tension of mm-hmm. a call of duty match right like because i mean yeah it's like it, it it's the it every action is kind of expanded out in as, into something that would be equivalent of slow motion in the video game right mm-hmm. um but uh your that tension is still there like because you're 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 every movement you make like you make up to four different movements per turn um up to four it's four right yeah four four um <clears throat> like and you reveal like it's hidden movement on both sides and you reveal and so like step by step you see where the other player went 
and you're like, oh, I, you're either, oh, I went the totally wrong direction and I'm not like, we're, we're going in opposite directions and we're not going to see each other. But more often than not, it's like, oh crap, he went that way and I thought he was going to go this way and now he's shooting at me and now I'm dead. So <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much, that was like the first 45 minutes of the first game we played for me. And that, that tactical gameplay of trying to outthink your opponent is so fun. Like I had yeah. a blast playing the game. I am a little worried because we only played two player. And yeah. the, the, so the core box from the Kickstarter is sold as a four player game. And you're playing. Well, it's, it's you know, two, two core v- boxes. You have two different core boxes. And I think they're 2v2, both 2v2, 2v2 but you 2v2. get both of them. You, you can play for, uh, yeah. yeah I'm sorry. One v there's two one v one boxes, and then you put, combine them for the the two v two. Because of the is, way the game is works. it two v two or is it uh uh wow what's it you know everybody free for, for themselves. So, so I yeah. think you can you can do free for all. You can do teams, and I think they oh. even advertise you could go all the way up to like nine versus nine. Uh, <laughs> because of the way the game works, though, I think it was a fantastic game as a one v one. Yeah, even a two v two, I think, might slow the game down enough that it loses the Call of Duty feel. Like one v one still felt quick and snappy, and we we paused to plan, and then we quickly went through our turns, and we had a firefight, and somebody died, and then we respond. Versus a two v two, or if you played bigger teams, you're going to get really bogged down in the the maintenance of gameplay. That I think it's going to lose what makes it feel like Call of Duty. The maintenance meaning like everybody deciding what they want to do and that portion kind of taking some time and then like the How shooting many dice. Some time. Yeah, the, yeah, like everybody okay. has to choose which dice they're going to use, which card they're going to play. And then, okay, uh, Anthony and I are shooting at each other, but then Mike and Anthony are also shooting at each other and Timmy and John are shooting at each other and it's just, you're going to get like... <laughs> oh, and Timmy fell in the well again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think personally, I would play it as a one v one, but we didn't get to play a, a team game, so I could be totally, yeah. totally wrong. But I could see it slowing down and, and getting bogged down with more more players. Yeah, and it's got it's got kill streaks. It's got the different, <laughs> the different operators across across the the other Call of Duty franchises. You can you can choose yep. which gun you're going to bring into the game, which affects the the range and how much damage it does at different ranges. Uh, you customize, you do some deck building that's going to decide which which kind of actions you can do during the game, which are going to be your like sprints and your slides and your uh, that that kind of stuff. And cer- stuff certain going. cards have like had like tactical. What what were mm-hmm. they called? Uh, I think they were just yeah tactical abilities. So tactical abilities, yeah. So like you that was could, Call of Duty. Yeah, you could use a tactical ability if you like lined everything up the right way and 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 did it you know, a certain way. Um, but you don't know that you're going to be able to use that tactical ability until you reveal that turn, uh, mm-hmm. with each other. It, it was, it, I, I was pretty impressed with it. Um, you know, just based on the amount of call of duty, the video game I played, uh, it felt very call of duty. Yeah. I think another thing I, I saw a lot online around the game is, uh, why is this a Kickstarter and not just, why don't they just make it and release it? Like Activision has a billion dollars. Why are we kickstarting the board game? So um, I will say this. Uh, 
during the Kickstarter, uh, act, there wasn't a peep from Activision about the game at all. Um, I think Arcane Wonders was uh, on their own with that. Um, and, you know, I guess maybe and maybe they were just playing it safe. Like, oh, well, if it doesn't do good, then they can blame Arcane Wonders for it, right? And, <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I, um, I think we've seen that with other video game yeah. tabletop adaptations. Uh, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn didn't hear a peep about. I just saw it on Kickstarter. There was uh, a Horizon Zero Dawn board game. Yeah, is, it's not that good. There's a Bloodborne oh. board game. The miniatures are there's amazing, a, though. The there's mini- a God of War board game. All yeah. of these, all of these, you know, huge yeah. video games that they're don't publishers do like any, and developers any, don't be saying nothing. Any, any marketing for the tabletop game, but I think it's it's a missed opportunity for people that aren't tabletop gamers you know i'm on kickstarter Mm -hmm. every day because i'm obsessive and i like to see the games that are coming out but somebody else that sees you know they're a fan of call of duty and they you know facebook push them this ad for the call of duty board game they're gonna go why why would i back this on kickstarter and i then i now i have to wait a year for this game to come out when like call of duty is a successful franchise like why why are we kickstarting this versus mm-hmm. tabletop gamers are used to kickstarter as a uh, not necessarily a model for funding single it's a mar- marketing tool it's a marketing yeah. tool yeah uh, that maybe that maybe that uh, you know knowledge hasn't transitioned outside of the tabletop arena well and the thing i don't understand is that like you know uh the people who play tabletop games and the people who play video games generally act the same way about their chosen hobby as as each other like you know there's a there's a a a, a strong um desire for the hot the new hottest hot thing you know the the latest games pushing the envelope the latest you know versions of iterations of a game like it's virtually identical in both worlds and like it it, if someone like if a company makes a, a, a tabletop game based off of a video game or even vice versa if they just worked together and like got everybody hyped about it that would probably be pretty successful I, I don't understand I guess it, it, the siloing is just still too strong uh, in, in like upper management in some of these companies I don't know it's, yeah, it's definitely it's a surprise to me uh, I backed the Kickstarter. I played the game at Gen Con. I thought it was really fun. Uh, but like you mentioned, the Kickstarter wasn't as successful as you would mm-hmm. expect for a, you know, a Call of Duty game or uh, you know some of the other tabletop Kickstarters we've seen. You know, whereas another company might be releasing the tenth version of the same game again, mm-hmm. and the Kickstarter is massively successful, and then you have this massively successful video game franchise come to tabletop and the kickstarter doesn't do that well so um i don't i don't know if people just couldn't tell what the game was about or or what was going on but uh, i had a really good time playing it at gen con with my uh, i would have to say as one who is pretty exclusively into video games i don't think the tabletop community probably cares about Call of Duty and the Call of Duty community doesn't care about Call of Duty, the board game. 
they like Call of Duty the video game. So then you get bad press about the idea of a Kickstarter and because that's all I saw was negative press about the idea of a Kickstarter GameSpot, Polygon, you know, everybody's like, why is there a Kickstarter for Call of Duty? So then that's just bad press. Yes, it gets Call of Duty the board game out there, but in this case, uh, bad press was not good press, I would imagine. So yeah. uh, it just looks sleazy and schemy, which Call of Duty has a reputation for. Activision has a reputation for. So it leans into that. And so it probably, for that and probably a number of different reasons, that's probably why it didn't do so well. I, I think the other thing that it kind of has going against it for a, a mainstream title is people that aren't already tabletop gamers have no concept of what a board game costs. Like if you think of a mm. board game and you're not a gamer, you're probably thinking Monopoly. You're going to go to Walmart and buy that mm. for 20 bucks. Uh, and then you see this Kickstarter for I think it's more a expensive board game. Than that, to be fair to Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, 40, 40 bucks. Yeah. Uh, you have a this Kickstarter for a board game and they're like, hey, the base game is $60 plus shipping. But if you want all of the game, it's going to be $220. And people go, $220 for a board game? Yeah, because they're thinking paper figurines. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. For, for somebody that's used to Kickstarters and this is your main hobby, you might be, oh, that sounds not bad compared to some other stuff that I've seen. But <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're not already in that world, you're like, wow, I would never pay that much money for a box of cardboard and paper. So that makes uh, sense. I, I kind of get that perspective. I, I would I would I would take a little bit of exception with the the idea that video game gamers might not be interested in board games. I think yes. Call of Duty I, specifically. That's I think yeah. I, I, yeah I, think, I think Call of Duty is 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 not a franchise that um, you'd see a lot of crossover. I, I do agree with that, um, but I, I do think there are a lot of uh, different genres of video games that do cross over to tabletop and and back and forth. I, this was probably the one thing I was the most excited to see at Gen Con. Uh, and it did not disappoint. Um, it was a very early prototype. Uh, we've got a video up on the channel right now uh, of the, uh, the demo slash overview that, um, that, that uh, Paverson Games gave us at their booth. Um, but uh, Luthier is basically... All right, so Paverson Games... Uh, created this game called uh, Distilled, which uh, was known for having great mechanics uh, that worked with a great theme. And uh, Luthier is looking like it's shaping up to be that exact same approach. Um, it takes place in a specific uh, time period uh, um, when like uh, Stradivarius and Mozart and like a, a lot of the famous composers lived, um, Beethoven, uh, <clears throat> and uh, basically uh, each player uh, represents a family of instrument makers, and your family grows over time. Um, but the idea is that you are making instruments for your patrons, who could be 
a conductor like Beethoven or um, like a, uh, a person in the royalty, uh, in the royal court in Europe, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and then um, you are uh, you're getting more and more uh, clout and points and resources uh, when those instruments are getting played. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's basically a Euro style game. Uh, it's got some worker placement, uh, uh, mechanics to it. And, um, just like distilled, it's got a, uh, a luck mechanic in the terms of, uh, rolling the dice when you actually, uh, do a performance. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it looks stunning. Um, the, the art, is uh is starting to kind of peek through the design a little bit as you can see in the video uh like the top board is very sparse and like very basic but like the bottom player board there uh has a little bit more of a of, of design added to it uh it's still in a in a very early state but uh looks and sounds gorgeous and uh cannot wait to play it um I yeah I could I could effuse at length <laughs> for sure uh, about it. Um, effuse away a little bit longer. Go yeah, for it. Yeah right, yeah yeah. So uh, so yeah, basically, um, what you're doing is uh, you it, it, and and I thought it, uh, Luthier actually refers to uh, primarily making string instruments, but they've kind of expanded it to include uh non-string instruments like uh brass instruments uh like flugelhorns and trumpets and stuff like that um and flugelhorn was the first one that came to your mind interesting okay <laughs> well it's because there's a flugelhorn in the uh in the video, on the video. <laughs> you're yeah. making that word up that's not a no it's, it's a real world <laughs> that's a otherwise, real instrument. Known, otherwise known as a french horn um <clears throat> they're very they're almost yeah it's it's a it, never mind uh, <laughs> the 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 high school band uh in me is is coming coming is bubbling up to the flugel surface. horns in your high school yeah. band okay yeah 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 totally well i mean they're french horns flugel horns are french horns sure yeah yeah you, you've yeah. heard of french horns haven't you? i you know i went to high school in la we did no that was not yeah. the thing that we trumpet, all right, all right. you know trumpet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay um, but yeah, basically, uh, you start off with these numbered discs and you're sending, uh, uh, the discs, uh, vary in, in, in value, uh, the higher the number, the more, um, uh, ability, like the more precedence you take, like, so the, uh, like a four or a five would be the head of your family and then like a one would be, Oh, you're sending the kid out to go get supplies. Right. Uh, and so you place, you place your discs every turn on the different, uh, worker placement areas on the board. You gather, uh, resources to create, um, your, uh, uh, instruments, um, and instrument, the instrument cards, you, you basically have to buy the instrument cards. It's sort of like buying a recipe uh, to build that instrument. And then you uh, pay the resources that you've gathered uh, according to what kind of instrument it is. Like if it's a, a brass instrument, then you're going to be using a lot of metal. Um, if it's a, uh, 
like a violin, you're going to be using some wood and you might have, uh, uh, they have an animal resource because strings were made out of cat gut, right? Um, that sort of thing. Uh, or, or certain, certain things that were, were, were derived from, from animal sources to create, to, to help create some of your instruments. And so then that's on your work workbench, which is on the left there. And then um, you refine their instrument and you take it over to the right. And like you, you, uh, you basically string it up and you, uh, you find out how good the instrument is. And then you take that instrument um, and, uh, and give it to your patron. And if that satisfies your patron, then they stick around a while longer and if you satisfy them, um, uh, and, and like if you really satisfy them, then they become like a permanent part of your tableau and give you special abilities and that sort of thing. And the whole board, like if you look over there on the uh, well, underneath where uh, Dave is showing that the uh, it looks like kind of like a, th- uh, a theater house with like some oh, like a building there. That's going to be what the main board is actually going to look like eventually that white it's it, right now it's that white rectangle um and then uh and then you you basically uh take that uh take that into the orchestra and and you add it to the orchestra and um there's certain like if you're the first one to provide a violin to the orchestra then your violin uh the violinist becomes first chair right so mm. Uh, they take precedence and you get more, more from that uh, when a performance happens. Uh, and then the performance is, is you roll the dice and that's, that's the luck component of the game. And he, and Dave said it was a totally um, uh, optional uh, aspect of the game. You could go through the whole game and not do a performance at all. If you don't like luck based mechanics in your game and still you have a good chance to win. Uh, it's just you're going to you're you're rolling the dice, you know. You if you're if you're, if you're behind, it might be a way for you to help catch up a little bit uh, and get some resources or some uh, some clout and support from it. That's a really interesting addition to a Euro game, which traditionally you know doesn't they try and take all the luck out of it. Player, players yeah. want to like I don't want to rely on luck. I want to plan my strategy and win or lose off of my own merits. Uh, but a lot of times in Euro games, if you're behind, you know, halfway through the game, like I have no chance of winning this game. I'm just going to keep playing for, you know, another hour and a half. And uh, hopefully the game is really fun and I'm having a good time, but <laughs> right, no, chance of, right. <laughs> no chance of winning. So really interesting that uh, to add that luck aspect in to as a catch up mechanic, hey, maybe I'll do this thing. Uh, well, and that's what I really, really liked about Distilled is the way Distilled incorporated luck. It was more of a mandatory mechanic than uh, in what they're doing in Luthier. But the idea with uh, Distilled is that you would gather your ingredients for the spirit that you were distilling. And then um, you would put them into like a, a deck and shuffle that deck. And then because when you distill something you uh something is lost in the distillation process you would remove the top card and the bottom card and put them back into your storeroom and then you whatever was left would be half what you'd have to match up to your your uh spirit recipe 
spear recipes that you have available. Um, so you like you could if you didn't stack your deck with enough of a certain type of ingredient, you could accidentally distill that ingredient out and have to make vodka instead of like something much better. Right. Um, it was less of a, of a catch up mechanic, but it was more of like a, just a really kind of unique um, thing that added a little uh, a, a little bit of like uncertainty that sounds uh, to the game mechanically interesting i don't know that it makes sense for the distilling process but uh it sounds like a fun mechanic for the game it's it's a little fiddly in terms of of the theme um like they definitely like i i definitely don't think that you're going to match up a recipe after you distill uh like you're really going going for it but i guess if you screw up a distillation process then you're still left with something and you can still make vodka <laughs> or moonshine, yeah. which are the two base base uh, drinks. Get ready <laughs> to be stepped on by a giant baby, eaten <laughs> by a dog, or smashed by a beach ball. In castles by the sea. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was a good one. Yeah, I like that. Okay. What is this, castles by the sea? This was a game that none of us had heard anything about going into. Not a thing. Time. Not a thing. And uh, I was walking the floor on my way to another appointment, uh, and I we would walk past the Brotherwise booth, and I saw this game. Uh, I told uh, other Mike, my cameraman, hold on a second. I, I got to look at this game and I bought it on the spot just based on uh, just the visuals. Uh, took, took it back to the, the Airbnb, uh, opened it up, played it, and it, it's really fun uh, for, for a game that was just out of nowhere. So uh, it's a really light game. So, you know, you're building sandcastles, but thematically you're playing as these little like elves or uh, little, little elven creatures that uh, are probably like i don't know four to six inches tall uh in, in the real world they're the sandcastles are their home so you're trying to uh, build certain patterns so that you can place your little elves out onto the board to score points so the the more of your pieces that you get onto onto the board every round the more points you score but at the end of every turn you have to flip hazard cards and this is where the game really uh throws in some extra fun you know, mechanically but also just the theme is hilarious uh the hazards you're, you're going to choose three for each game, but they could be a dragon, which is actually just a kite, uh, a, do a dog that comes and jumps on the sandcastle, a beach ball that rolls across the sand and wipes out a whole row of buildings. Uh, it could be a sandstorm. It could be a crab that comes over and starts eating your pieces. And my favorite, it could be a baby that like a. Oh, fat baby that just waddles over and stop, stop, stop. Lips on your pieces. So you're you're building up these sandcastles, trying to get your little elves out, building their kingdom out of the board, and then these hazards are rotating around constantly, you know, d 
destroying your buildings, eating your little elves and sending them you know, <laughs> back home. Uh, re- really light. It's really simple game, really easy to teach. Uh, you get to play with these nice chunky wooden blocks. The If you get the Kickstarter version, the meeples are all screen printed. Uh, the production is beautiful and uh, it's just really fun. And, and even when your pieces are getting destroyed, it's just fun. Uh, oh, the the baby ate my princess or uh, the, the dragon the dragon blew over all my buildings uh, totally out of, out of nowhere uh, saw this game and uh, one of my favorites that we saw at Gen Con. this was uh this was a late night meeting um wasn't expecting this to be i i wasn't i didn't know what to expect of this were you in an alley and they're uh, like hey mike <laughs> gotta... picture this it's 10 p.m they're like they're like hey mike we go into a hotel room yeah <laughs> yeah that's pretty much i it. have something and there me. are 300 other people actively playing games at 10 p.m in the, in the room. <laughs> Yeah, the hotel room was actually a ballroom, right? So it was, yeah. We can do Um, some things in this ballroom. I got something (laughs) for you. It is quite out of this world. I can send you you there. Do you need some meeples? I got meeples. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Um, Galactic Cruise. Yeah, so so yeah, this, this, this was a very pleasant surprise. Um, uh, it's a Euro style game. It was an early prototype. Um, the theme of it is that um, each player runs a company, a, a galactic cruise company. So instead of like cruise ships that go on in the Mediterranean or in the Caribbean, uh, they go to other planets. Um, obviously they're spaceships, but not. Yeah. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so like you're basically um, building your ships, you're gathering resources to uh, promote your cruises, you're trying to attract different types of uh, um, uh, like customers, cruise people who, who want to go on your cruise. And I think the thing that uh, really, really stood out to me about this game, other than the gorgeous Ian O'Toole artwork on the cover, which uh, Ian O'Toole is one of the uh, the most well-known uh, tabletop game artists in the business right now. Um, not only is his work just visually stunning, but the... Uh, the interaction design, the, the way it's organized, the, he organizes the boards and everything is, is really maximizes, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the player's ability to understand what's going on on the board. Um, but the thing that really stood out was that, you know, there's a lot of Euro style games where, you know, you're doing some worker placement and <clears throat> it's very tight. Like, if you don't get that one spot and someone else gets it, then your your whole plan may fall apart apart and you're not able to like keep up and and um and it's it's hard to kind of like vie for for dominance and 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 keep keep going keep up the point making that you're gonna be making 
this one rewards you at every turn. Um, like, not only uh, are you always going to kind of get something satisfying from placing a worker somewhere on the board, but um, if you if another player has a worker on a place that you want to go, you can still go there. The price of that is that you knock their worker back to their back to the player, and then that player gets to replace that worker during that same round. So it's in effect you're 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 trading getting what you want for potentially giving another player an extra placement on the board uh, that turn because you're it, it's not like you've got it locked in it's you get you just basically get your your worker back and the next time it comes around you can place that worker again and usually usually once you place a worker you can't take it off right and that that's i think that's what really stood out to me about this game i don't know what, what did you think mark yeah there comes that time at the in a typical worker placement game that either the end of the rounds where everybody takes their workers back and it's just kind of filler time or games where at some point you have to spend your whole turn taking your workers back where other people might still be going mm-hmm. and that's just not fun that's always like mm-hmm. a turn that you're wasting whereas this game is like you said constantly rewarding and this is not an easy game so it's, it's just yeah. because you're getting constantly rewarded doesn't mean this is a simple game i would i would put this on par with you know a, a vital lacerta game that you know, tabletoppers might be familiar with a very complex, efficiency focused, tons of interactions on the board. But the difference, like a brass think, Birmingham kind of thing, yeah. Too, and what I think know. elevates this game is it has that efficiency puzzle. It has that um, you know tightness of resources, but it somehow still allows you to uh, feel good every turn. You're getting benefits every turn, like you mentioned, versus having bad turns where oh somebody took my spot and my plan is ruined uh mm-hmm. well, this turn i'm just resetting um, you don't have that in this game it, it manages to reward you at every turn while still having that efficiency puzzle because of how interconnected every system is on the game uh, you know attracting customers or building your rocket or doing r d to advance your different your technology uh Putting, building um, connections between the different places that you you can place your workers so that you can put a worker down and activate the actions at a connected place that you've established before. Everything is so interconnected in this game uh, that it's going to give you a ton to think about, but even those, even those turns where you're doing a small turn is still going to reward you in a way that your typical worker placement game doesn't. It's it, what I what I got from the quick demo that we did was every turn is going to feel good. You're going to have fun the entire game, and then at the end you're going to see who won. But you had fun doing stuff the entire game. You never felt like I can't do anything because I'm blocked or I don't have the resources or, or whatever it may be. Another thing that I uh, that really stood out to me uh, mechanics wise on the game was um, you're building you're building your ships that go that are carrying passengers to other planets. Um, you're building them step by step. Like, so like you, you're adding tile on tile on tile and like, you could have a ship that is like six tiles high, or you could have a ship that is two tiles high. And each one of those pieces is going to determine 
how many passengers you can put on the rocket. And then once you're ready to launch that rocket, you cap it off with basically a route to the planet or star or whatever, wherever it's going, the destination. And then over the next, however many turns that are on that route, um, you're moving like uh, a, 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 a tracker that is um, um, kind of acting out the ship's uh, time in it to get to the planet. And there are, I think there's even like some things that can happen along the way that, um, that alter things just a little bit, but it, it, it's just like, like this really nice kind of like, all right, I built my ship, I've sent it off. And then in like four turns, I'm going to get the payoff for it because that's how long it takes for it to get to its destination. And you can have multiple rockets going at the same time. So it's, it's, I like games like that, that introduce mechanics like that because it kind of help, it, it's fun kind of setting something into motion and then like, like cashing out like a few turns later, like you really kind of worked really hard to like make this rocket just the best it could be. And then it really pays off in about four turns, but you got to last four turns and you got to like, make sure you build other rockets and do other things to make sure that you're not falling behind in the meantime. Um, and there's a, a real sense of the competing companies thematically where uh, Mike, your company might be building this big rocket that's going to take, you know, six customers to Mars. And I might say, I'm going to build a smaller rocket and just take one person to Mars. And I'm going to be the first one to do it, to establish myself on this, you know, the interval scoring board to get mm -hmm. more points. Whereas you might get a bigger payoff later. I'm going to get some rewards earlier that might set me up to do something different. So there's different strategies you can pursue uh, in that sense as well. This is actually uh, produced by Darrington Press, which is the company that Critical Role formed for all of their uh, their two TRPG and Critical Role themed stuff. And now this is their first uh, real stab at a proper tabletop game. It's a deck building game. Um, and, and if you're if you're not a in the gaming tabletop gaming world critical role is the the live play dungeons and dragons uh group that's the by far the most popular uh anywhere of anybody that does live plays yeah. online of dungeons and dragons yeah yeah i mean critical role has become its own kind of uh commercial juggernaut in its own right at this point um and uh, at the beginning of the year, they announced uh, they did already like made a uh, a source book for the adventure that they were doing um, uh, for the, on the live play, and uh, they've come out with a couple of other little things. And they announced a couple of uh, new TTRPGs uh, that they're working on, um, but this one this one really stood out to me because it is totally unlike any of that. It is a deck builder um, that 
is uh, is really interesting in that a uh, it's not just a two player deck builder because a lot of deck builders are just one v one. You can play up to six players, um, and then it also has this amazing table presence with this uh, clock that uh, sits in the middle of the table uh, that not only acts as the round marker uh, on the clock face, uh, but it also features a dice tower. And then your market for all of the advanced uh, cards for the deck building uh, aspect are also uh, on that tower. And the whole tower is a lazy Susan. It can reorient you. Your players can reorient it to themselves. Uh, it's 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 gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Um, it's one of the finest cardboard constructions I've seen in years. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's it's basically the premise is this: um, the uh, the queen of the land just passed away, uh, and on her deathbed, she decreed. I believe she passed away on her deathbed. She decreed that um, her successor um, would uh, have to be crowned by midnight and that the six princesses of the land would have to basically fight it out to see who became queen by midnight. Um, and uh, each princess has, uh, has asymmetrical powers in their decks Um uh, some of them um, have uh, have certain abilities that require dice to be rolled. Like you can roll on a table based off of what's on the card. Um, others, uh, it's it, there's just so many different varying ways of play that, uh, and and I think uh, they they are focused on uh, like three. I think there's six different spheres and then like each one of them has like uh, two of the six that kind of comprise their deck. Right. Like I think they go by different colors and each color represents a different kind of power set. And then each queen, each princess, uh, their deck is comprised of cards that fit within two of those power sets, two of those colors. Um, So, uh, it it's it it it's just I mean it looks beautiful, but just based on what we saw of the gameplay and, and we're actually going to uh we actually got a, a a review copy that we're working on right now and uh, I'm gonna be playing this tomorrow uh for the first time unsupervised <laughs> by by someone who who made the game. Um <clears throat> but uh it's it kind of ramps up incrementally over time um so there uh, depending on how many players i think up to six players you have actually have a full 12 rounds at lower player counts you start like further along on the clock because those clock hands move on the uh tower um and then uh the first market is mostly about like gathering resources and then when the clock strikes six the uh the evening market um, comes into play and it's a whole different group of cards. And these are a little more powerful. And then by nine o'clock, the night market comes, uh, comes out. And those are super powerful cards where you're like, 
you know, chaining abilities and, and doing some really crazy, crazy stuff to each other. Um, and there's even each player also has like a certain amount of like uh, up uh, uh, higher level cards that become a, uh, available as time goes on that you can also fold into your deck um, that are, are keyed specifically to that character. So there's a lot of variability in how you can build your decks out. Uh, and there's a lot of asymmetry in terms of how each of the princesses uh, like their play styles that you would, uh, you would have on it. Super cool looking game. Uh, just gorgeous production value uh, def- has some of the best table presence I've seen. I saw all con, I would say. Yeah. I, I don't know much about this game, uh, but one of the things I read that I thought was really cool. And I, maybe I saw this in your video, mm-hmm. Mike, so, uh, but that it's possible. It, it's a battle Royale. So you're fighting each yeah. other, but there's mm-hmm. also a separate uh point mechanic i don't remember what it was called prestige or honor or some way you're acquiring points and you could win that way instead of yes being the last one standing and there's yes you can form alliances uh mm-hmm. so, so the different ways to play different ways to win is something uh, that's always cool to see in a game versus everyone pursuing this yeah game. we could be playing the game totally differently uh, if i recall there's a mechanic in there where um uh, as you get later into the game and maybe maybe your player has been eliminated, then um, you might end up becoming an advisor to another player. And that's another way that you're getting points. You're kind of helping them win, but you might end up winning because of some secret machinations that you're doing, you know, on the side. It, it's It's got some really amazing ideas and I can't wait to see like how it really executes. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Uh, along with the, I like deck builders that use that uh, that mechanic of the market changes as the game progresses versus the mm-hmm. the same market and maybe turn one the most powerful card in the game is in the market and then nobody can buy it. Right. Uh, it kind of progresses, uh, which is something that uh, th- that was in uh, one of my favorite games from two years ago, uh, Wonderland's War. Which oh is yeah, an Alice in Wonderland theme game uses that same thing where the market evolves as the game goes on uh, so really cool to, to see that again in this game all right yeah so we'll have a review of that up soon actually very good i mean by midnight yep i wish i was a part of this picture but i'm gonna bring it up and i just want your first quick thought on it this is super cool to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, we, we, uh, we were uh, invited to go to the Lorcana launch party at Gen Con. And um, one of the cool things was, is they, they uh, set it up to where you could take a picture and get a custom Lorcana card made. And uh, so that's me and John Farrell. And of course, Mark. And I was like, well, I'm going to get, I'm going to get the three of us that are here and, uh, and we're going to do this like iconic pose. <laughs> Apparently Mark went rogue and just got his own. So we, yeah. I got to do it. This is one of my prized possessions from Jenkins. Yeah. Custom yeah. Hold up. Iconic card. Let me, hold up. Me. Let me put you. Oh, let me. Some bad biting in here. 
This is me. Uh, we just you. There we go. Completely amazed that I am getting to participate in this awesome uh, just Gen Con and the party for Lurkana. And then thematically, I am transported as an Illumineer into <laughs> into the game and just uh, can't believe that I'm here. So yeah, really, really cool. Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, it's best of Gen Con according yeah. to game trend. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Some interesting so, games. Um, and so, I mean, now, mind you, that isn't that isn't all we consider to be the best of Gen Con. And um, we're actually uh, going to uh, be, uh, by the time you're watching this, uh, God willing, <laughs> Our best of Gen Con article, our best of Gen Con roll up of everybody that we awarded a best of Gen Con um, award to uh, will be up on the site. So be sure to check that out. Uh, it'll be it's a great way to check out some a bunch of the coverage that we uh, posted uh, for from our time at Gen Con this year. Very nice. All right, that'll do it for us. Tabletop yep. takeover. Appreciate it. It was fun as usual. Did it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Congrats yeah. to you guys. I know it was a lot of work, but oh, you're yeah. done. Well, well yep. at least with that stuff. Still well, more. I mean, I'm always to come. Done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Talk to you next week. Back to our normal video game talk because it's going to be a big one. So. <laughs> Talk to you Is it later. Going to be about Baldur's Gate three, maybe. <laughs> uh, we already we talked about that one last week. Oh, okay. it, it's going to be just as big. Um. At least, at least in scope of interest. It oh is going wait, to be huge. Starfield. I'm so yes, sorry. there you go. Silly <laughs> Baldur's Gate three board game comes out right now. <laughs> <laughs>